Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When, when she, she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. <laughs> I've lost my mind. It's been a month since we've recorded. I Yeah, roughly. <laughs> yeah. Roughly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, we well, didn't okay. we didn't record for our last episode. Yeah. Because it was yeah. a, a extra episode. It was our first episode we ever did. And then yes. it would have been two weeks before that that we recorded episode uh-huh. seven. So yeah. Uh so what have you been up to this month? <laughs> uh well, really quickly, did you know that this is Booze, Brews, and Booze with Tosh mm-hmm. and Steph? Yeah, that's probably an important uh, little tidbit to know. Did you know that you're Tosh and I'm Steph? I'm Tosh. I'm Steph, and this is our podcast. Oh. Welcome. <laughs> yeah, it's our true crime paranormal. I, I don't know. I guess you missed the memo. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, yeah, the last couple weeks of been a roller coaster dude like yeah and i was on a roller coaster ah uh, yeah shut up <laughs> i haven't been on a roller coaster in probably four years now yeah it's it had been a long time for me too like um the last time i had been to like a, a theme park or whatever you want to call it was when me and john and billy went to worlds of fun and that was a long time ago. Yeah, the last time that I was on a roller coaster was at Elitch Gardens when we went to Denver like four years ago. Wow. I don't know when we went. I don't know what year that was. I don't know if that was pre-Portland or post-Portland. But I remember it was after a, a warp tour in Kansas City. Kansas City? Yeah, it would have had to been Kansas City because that's fucking where Worlds of Fun is. <laughs> so is it? I I feel like we don't know where we are, when we are. Like what? What even year is it? Like I don't I don't even know anymore. I'm like my my brain is like popped out of my head and is just like mush strewn yeah. throughout my house by my cats. Yep. But uh uh so. To catch up on me, I guess, um, the noteworthy bits anyway, me and Billy went to Pittsburgh for 4th of July and his birthday. Yeah. And I had never been to Pittsburgh before, and it is fucking beautiful there. I was highly surprised and impressed. Um, and we got to visit Brent, our friend who lives there, and we went to Kennywood, uh, which is the theme park there, and that was a lot of fun. And for anybody who has ever seen the movie Adventureland, 
with Kristen Stewart and uh, what's his name? Jesse Eisenberg. Um, I think that's his fucking name. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's actually where they filmed it. And that's Billy's all time favorite movie. So it was kind of perfect to go there for his birthday. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And then on the 4th of July, we literally had a backpack full of beer from the brewery that Brent works for. And we oh, sat, nice. yeah, and it was all free. And what we did, it, they're all just cans, um, that don't have labels on them. And we did like a, like a beer roulette. Like you want a beer, you just put your arm into the backpack and you grab one and you get what you get. So it might've been an IPA. It might've been a sour. It might've been a seltzer. Who knows until you open it up. But they were all pretty good. Even the IPAs weren't horrible, even though I fucking hate IPAs. But we just played fucking beer roulette on this bridge over this river and watched all the fireworks over this river full of fucking boats and (laughs) it was kind of awesome and we took the train there and back and that was another first for me i've never been on a train before and that was really nice much better than a greyhound bus i have to say i I would imagine it would probably be at least a little bit nicer like how are the bathrooms on there like I mean, they're easy to get in there and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I had a little trouble with the door because the doors latch weird. Um, but yeah. in, I mean, they're bigger than the bathrooms on airplanes and they're bigger than the bathrooms on buses and you don't feel like you're going to fall over all the time. So that wasn't too bad. And you have a lot more leg room, a lot more fucking leg room than anything else. And that was like huge because it was a fucking eight hour train ride. Um, yeah, but he, he, yeah, there and back, it was a beautiful ride through the fucking mountains and shit. So it was, uh-huh. it was a really fun trip. And, um, other than that, I have three cats and they're making me fucking crazy all the time. <laughs> uh, we have officially named little man Oscar. Yeah. His name Oscar! is Oscar. <laughs> Even though we we don't call him Oscar, we still call him Little Man. But I've been trying yeah. to like, but now he's catch myself, you know. Um, but yeah, now he's, he's got an official name. He's got an official name, and he's sitting on the stool right in front of me, because that's his new thing. Is he likes to play on the kitchen table, so I'm just hoping <laughs> he doesn't like knock my shit over, um, because he's a fucking crazy thing. He's yeah. Hello, sir. What are you? Hello. What are you doing? Yeah, you're going to knock this shit over? Yeah, exactly. This cat. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay, you want to say hi? Come here. Come here. Say hi to Steph. Hi, baby. Oh, he's still so little. <laughs> hi, Oscar. <laughs> hey, baby. Mm. He's getting big, though. Yeah, he's so cute. All right, get down, baby. Look at him paws. I know, his paws are huge. He's going to be such a big cat. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, other than that, the only other thing that I wanted to bring up is, uh, as you know, I've been watching, um, Boardwalk Empire. Yeah. And I am like halfway through season four. There's only five seasons in total. So I'm almost done with it. And, uh, I told you this, but I want to bring it up for anyone who's interested in watching it or who has, uh, thought about watching it. Um, it, 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 
what what I compare it to is fucking Sons of Anarchy, but set in the twenties with fucking gangsters. Um, <laughs> it's awesome, and Steve Buscemi is amazing as always. Uh, and don't you chew my cord, you little shit. Okay, get up. This is gonna be interesting. Um, <laughs> and the the main thing that I like compare it to with Sons of Anarchy is like you you're gonna get connected. You're gonna you know connect to some of these characters, and the minute you fucking cling on to this character, he's gonna die. <laughs> that that's what it is don't love anyone in the show because they're gonna they're, they're everyone's just fucking dying everyone dies all the time is it is it one of those those things too where like you finally catch on to that and then you're like starting to grow like weary of it weary weary of that and so then you're like okay i'm not gonna get my hopes up and then this person's been around for a while and so you're like okay i'm gonna let my guard down mm-hmm. and then you start to love him then Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah, okay. It happened to me with a couple of different people on that show, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I'll do it. <laughs> it is a fucking phenomenal show. Uh, Guns wrecked me, man. Like, that was a very depressing time in my life. <laughs> yeah, like, Sons of Anarchy did me in mentally. Like, yeah, I I, st- yeah. I have fucking like oh SO, yeah, we're not SOA even gonna PTSD, yeah. you know. Yeah, we're we're yeah, we're just not even gonna talk about it. But, <laughs> but um, what have you been up to? Well, so uh, on the fourth, you know, we just you know, watched people blow stuff up. Didn't see anybody blow off their hands, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan is very fast and so i spent a lot of the weekend chasing after her away from the like chasing her away from the street or chasing her away from (laughs) fireworks or because i don't want to like hold her right and then her not like want to walk so i want her to have fun and plus she's squirmy Mm -hmm. anyway so it was hot i was chasing a toddler (sighs) fireworks do stuff to me because i don't like loud noises and so, um, the really loud, like dynamite ones, I just don't even listen to, um, or I, no, I listen to them and <laughs> they like make me jump out of my skin, mm-hmm. even if expecting it, I yeah. know it's coming and I just jump really hard. So the fourth is always hard for me, but it's fine. I power through it, drink a little bit, just whatever. So then, um, this last weekend, Lucas actually went out to Detroit to go visit his best friend, Everett, with their other best friend, Tim. Mm -hmm. And so they left on Thursday at, like, 5 a.m. and didn't get back until, like, 4.30 on that following Monday, 4.30 p.m. Starting with Thursday morning, I slept through my alarm. I had no expectations of falling back asleep after I said goodbye to Lucas. I slept through my alarm. I wake up to my mom walking through my house because my awesome husband called my dad at 6.50 and said, hey, I think Steph slept through her alarm. So my dad said, hey, go see if you can wake up Steph, make sure she's okay, and then grab Ryan and bring her back. So my amazing parents did above and beyond what they should not have done. For those of you that don't know my parents, watch my child. That is a wonderful service. I am 
forever indebted and grateful for my parents for doing that. Anyway, so my mom, acting as my alarm clock, came and woke my ass up. Thank you, Mom. <laughs> um, got my daughter ready. Felt that she was kind of warm. On Thursday, Ryan was, like, feeling warm, kind of lethargic. Throughout the day, she had, like, a steady, steady low-grade fever, about, like, 99 degrees. By Thursday, it was up to, like, 100.1, so it still was low, but... You know, first time parent over here, freaking out a little bit. My husband's right. out of town. And then Friday night, we have this massive storm, <laughs> which, thank God, we, one, don't have our tree out front anymore, because that would have taken out my living room. Mm -hmm. And two, that we didn't lose power in the storm, but the people across the street did pour them. They didn't get back until, like, two the next day. There are still people Tiff without power. Dad, yeah, like, your family was without power until, like, Wednesday or Thursday or something like that. Like, mm -hmm. and there's still people without power. Like, yeah. it was the largest um, event in company history, is what they said, right. for PPD. So, that happened, and Ryan had already woken me up because she was screaming, and I thought it was because she wasn't feeling well, so I kind of treated it like that, but I'm thinking maybe she got woken up by the storm. And that was at like 12.30 in the morning, so I had her with me, and then I let her lay in bed, and then I went out in the garage to hang out to have some me time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the storm rolls in with 95-mile-an-hour winds. I'm thinking I'm going to get impaled by, like, a tree branch. <laughs> Final destination shit. <laughs> yeah, something, something. Like, my time has come. I've lived a good life. Sorry. Um, Don't you I, I actually, like, got... I'm trying not to. Hey, it didn't happen. It's fine. It's fine. I backed away from the garage door. Good. Um, no trees busted in my direction, so it was not meant to be. <laughs> um, so then Saturday, I, I didn't have to worry much about cleanup. Um, Saturday, like, we still weren't, like, Ryan wasn't feeling well. So we stayed home Sunday. Spent some time with some family that's in town. Lucas came home on Monday. Still spent some more time. Woke up on Tuesday. Ryan's still kind of feeling like crap. Take her to the doctor. She's got like an ear infection. And then Lucas and I start feeling like shit. So I've been feeling like crap for like the last three days. Mm -hmm. My voice is fine right now because I drink some throat, throat coat tea with you some can, lemon. You can and still kind of tell you're, you're struggling. Yeah, it's it, it'll be a good time. It'll be a good time tonight, guys. It's a good <laughs> thing I'm doing true crime. I'm right. going first. Um, that being said, because I haven't been feeling well, the first half of my story was all this, you know, putting together research. The last half of my story, I phoned it in so fucking hard. <laughs> and that's actually when I was sitting over here giggling, you're like, what are you laughing at? I'm like, I'll tell you on the podcast. I was finishing up my notes. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Literally yeah. waited till the last minute, huh? <laughs> I took my laptop to work today and worked on it on my lunch. Really? But, okay. So I was I was fully aware that this was a um, a massive story because just because of how popular it is, right? And uh, <laughs> that's a really good segue, Steph. So um, <laughs> it's a really popular story. Most people in the true crime community have heard of it. Um, and possibly even the paranormal community have probably heard something about it as well. Hmm. Um, 
So I, I knew going into this that I wanted to do it, but I knew that also it was going to be phoning in a lot of shit because, like, there's so many resources on it. Yeah. I didn't think I was going to phone it in this hard, but guys, I hope I really do a lot of justice on it. Like, <laughs> it probably won't. It's fine. Whatever. We got, like, 18 <laughs> listeners. It's fine. Yeah. We, we never claim to be perfect. We never claim to uh, know anything about anything, but we try yeah. our best. We try our best. Yeah. And we... We, we want everyone to listen, of course. We wish we had more than fucking, like, tw- 20 people that listen to us at any given time. Um, but we're doing this for us. We're doing this to teach yeah. each other about cool shit, so. Yes. So, fuck it. Fuck it. You want to take these shots, Nighthawk? I do. I really do. Um, I'm actually not going to take full shots tonight because I am, like, I know that the alcohol will help kick this a little bit, but I'm not going to push it. Right. Um, I'm just going to push it a little bit, but not like real good. (laughs) Push it real good. (laughs) But push it real good. (laughs) We are going to, uh, I think we're going to cheers to, uh, procrastination tonight. How about you? Yeah. I'm cheersing to procrastination. What about you? I mean, that fits me to a T, so let's do it. To procrastination, dragon. To procrastination, Nighthawk. Cheers. Cheers. One good thing about having this upper respiratory thing, I don't taste as much mm. bite with the alcohol, so that's nice. Um, what are you drinking? Um, I never told you what I was drinking. Uh, so I'm drinking... Some wine, some St. James Winery wine that Lucas mm. found for me and I wanted to try. Um, so I'm having some wine and then I still have leftover X-rated from 4th of July that I'm going to be finishing tonight as well. Nice. The diet is not going well, but I'm watching my portions. So I'm still eating carbs, but not as many. I didn't work out once this week, so... Hey, high five! Yeah, we both suck. Uh, but I am, I am going to get, I'm going to force myself to get back on it on Monday. Hopefully I'm feeling better by then because I've been fighting off a sickness too. Um, Uh and this week, this whole week was just a bust. So I was just like, fuck it. But there's so many people sick right now that have like literally no physical contact with anybody else. Like you are sick. Billy is sick. Mm -hmm. Tim's sick. Lucas is sick. I'm sick. Mm -hmm. Um, Freaking Kayla's sick, Ben's sick, and like we all have the same symptoms, but I haven't seen you in like freaking two months. Three yeah, months. Three months. <laughs> and it's been like two weeks for Kayla. Like, mm-hmm. crazy. Anyway, it's crazy. Yeah, but sick. because I'm going to be in Omaha in five weeks. Yay! And I have two parties to go to, and I have to meet my sister's boyfriend and shit, and. Yeah. Do all kinds of stuff and see you. Like, I, I'm, tra- I'm trying to look good, bro. And I'm so um, lazy. <laughs> but yeah. we should probably jump on into this. Oh, by the way, I'm drinking Tasha Royale with lime in case anyone's fucking surprised by that. Yeah. But- Which is um, <laughs> rum and diet for rum our diet. new listeners that we don't have. With a lime. <laughs> the lime and the coconut. <laughs> all right, so... As I had mentioned, this is a 
another popular like haunting slash true crime story and this is going to be a two-parter so um i am well the true crime is going to be one week and the paranormal is the other week oh okay so i will be covering this week i will be covering the murder of abby and andrew borden also known as the father and stepmother of Lizzie Borden of Fall River, Massachusetts. And then next podcast, which actually is going to be um, our last podcast before we, or our last episode before we do like a little breaky thing, mm-hmm. little breaky poo for August is a little busy for us. But um, so before our little breaky poo, I'm going to do the Lizzie Borden house hauntings. Yes. I, it's funny, actually. I didn't expect this at all, and I'm very excited. I love the Lizzie Borden story. Um, and I saw a TikTok the other day. I don't know if I sent it to you or not. I did. You that- did. That's actually what like got me. And I had heard a, uh, Lizzie Borden popped up in a couple other spots right around that same time, and I was like, okay, all right, universe, let's do it. Let's yeah. do the Lizzie Borden story. I'm excited. And obviously, this will be cool. I did- I hope you enjoy it because um, I filmed it a lot. Yeah. Called that shit well, collect too. I, I ain't got no money. <laughs> I feel like most people who are into true crime, like you said, know this story pretty well. All right. So go on. So we're going to start with the patriarch of the family. Um, Andrew Jackson Borden was born on September 13th in 1822, so he was a Virgo. <laughs> he was born in Troy, Massachusetts, which is now known as Fall River, and he was born to Abraham and Phoebe Borden. He had three siblings, Charlotte, Lorana, and Phoebe Ann, and I believe only Lorana survived to adulthood. Wow. So the other two passed away young. Andrew's family was rather wealthy and influential in the Falls River, the Fall River area. They owned a lot of the land, but they had lived very um, a meager existence, humble, modest. I got you. It, it was just humble and modest, like you know, they they didn't they didn't tell any you know, money or whatever. They just had the notoriety and the name. So then, so they lived very modestly while he was growing up. He struggled financially as he grew old, grew older, but he pulled a drink and he started from the bottom. And he actually made it pretty high. So throughout his life, he was a skilled carpenter. And his first starting like an undertaking and coffin and uh, casket making business. So uh, he would dig up graves or, and then they would also make uh, caskets. Him and his partner would make caskets, short order caskets too. Like you need them fast. We got it here for you. And some of the shadier things that he did was he would cut the feet off of dead bodies to get them to fit in like undersized caskets. (laughs) Just because he didn't, he either didn't have the means or just didn't want to make a new one. And so he just did that. Uh, later in life, he invested more <laughs> into real estate, and then he served on several banks at board of directors. While his wealth began to increase, he decided um, to live rather modestly. So 
he had a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And somewhere I read that by the time of his, spoiler, everybody, he gets murdered. <laughs> by the time of his murder, his estate is worth like 300000 or $350,000, which in today's money is close to like $10 million. Jeez. So he, he, had, he had money, but he, they lacked certain amenities that a lot of people of the same wealth had. So they didn't have electricity. They still used oil lamps. They didn't have indoor plumbing. They still used chamber pots and outhouses and such. Mm-hmm. Uh, the There were two views on Andrew that I actually found doing my research. So the first view was that, excuse me, he was described as peculiar. peculiar. He had gentleman-like manners and was dignified, but was also cur- courteous and kind. In all of his dealings, he was scrupulously upright and would expect the same fairness in others. So he, like, fine-tooth combed everything. Mm-hmm. His attention to detail made him seem cool and lacking sympathy, though he was a rather positive influence in the town of Fall River. So that was one take. The other take was he had a reputation for being cheap and made a few enemies in business. <laughs> he was referred to as a shady businessman and slug lord. Always looking to make or save a buck, he would even sometimes be selling eggs from their farm on Main Street. I mean, if you got eggs, sell them. Uh, yeah, right? Like, If I could sell my eggs, prob- I would. I know, right? We're just a little past our prime on that one. Yeah. And I'm not the healthiest of people. <laughs> Mentally or physically. <laughs> hey, what they need to know, it's not a need to know. Those poor kids will be fucked up. <laughs> but they'll be smart. They will be smart, but ignorance is bliss, my friends. Depressed is fuck yep depressed as fuck so uh later on uh, in 1846 andrew married sarah anthony jane morse they actually wed on christmas day of 1846 together they had three daughters emma leonora who was born on march 1st of 1851 alice esther who was born on may 3rd of 1856 and lizzie andrew who was born July 19th and 18th of 1860. It was rumored that Andrew was a little depressed about having a third girl. Mm-hmm. But, you know, whatever. Maybe that's why she had the middle name Andrew. But, uh, so unfortunately, Alice would not live long enough to meet her younger sister, Lizzie. So Alice Esther, who was born on May 3rd of 1856, she passed away believe in March of 1858, two months shy of, oh yeah, two months shy of her second. Uh, her cause of death was hydrocephalus, which is actually um, a buildup of cerebrospinal fluid within the cavities deep within the brain, so water on the brain. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. And then Lizzie was born on July 19th of 1860, um, and Sarah, like, really did adore Lizzie and Emma, her older sister loved her too and was always there to help Sarah around. Um, right around the time that Lizzie turned three, Sarah actually, unfortunately, passed away. She had uterine congestion, which is caused by varicose veins in the pelvic region. Yeah, I had to look it up. So I don't know if like they embolized or what happened, but she... It said that she died of uterine congestion and spinal infection. Fuck that. 
Yeah, right. That <laughs> doesn't sound 18... like any fun. That sounds like a common death in 1863, though. Right. Do cocaine about oh, she it. She was 39. She tried, and that's what caused it to happen. I don't... <laughs> anyway, so her, her blood wasn't haunted enough, I guess. I guess not. So Sarah was actually 39 years old at the time of her death. Uh, shortly before her death, so on her deathbed, she made her oldest daughter, Emma, promise to always look after Lizzie. And from that point on, even though their grandparents and aunt lived next door, 12-year-old Emma took on the duties of caring for a three-year-old Lizzie full-time. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few years later, Andrew actually remarried. It was to a woman he found respectable and sturdy. And this was something that he was looking for to take care of someone. It was like a trait in somebody that he was looking for to take care of the house and be a good influence on his daughters. And her name was Abby Durfee Gray, and she was 37 at the time of marriage to Andrew. She had not previously been married, nor had she had any children. And she instantly became a homemaker and a mother basically overnight. Mm -hmm. So she went from being, I say this a lot during this because it's the terminology, but she went from being, being a spinster yeah. to a mom. She went from ho to housewife. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say ho. I'd say probably hopeful to housewife. <laughs> hey, you don't know who, but who then that, that she had. That's me, gender class. That's terrible of me. I, that's mean. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Maybe she did go from ho to housewife. Who am I to judge? Who knows? <laughs> So then she instantly became a homemaker and a mother overnight. She tried hard to win over the girls, but Emma, 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 Emma did not take to Abby and began calling her Mrs. Borden. Wow. Instead of mother or Abby or mom called her Mrs. Borden. Lizzie, who was still young at the time, began to call Abby mother, which her sister disliked. Mm -hmm. Emma soon graduated from secondary school and attended Wheaton Female Seminary, which is now Wheaton College. And for about a year and a half, she attended Wheaton. She was described as plain and reserved, lacked culture and charm, and would eventually return home early due to not quite fitting in. When mm -hmm. she returned home, she was more of like a... She was more the recluse that a lot of people portrayed Lizzie to be. A lot of people said that Lizzie was super shut in, never spent time outside of the house, and that wasn't true. Right. Um, Emma, Emma did. She was the recluse. She didn't like spending time outside. She wasn't sociable. So she returned home to live with her father and Lizzie and um, Abby. And... While in school, Emma would receive letters from Lizzie about... Oh, I backtracked. So while she was at Wheaton, Emma received letters from Lizzie about how mother would take me here. Mother gave me this. Abby even gifted Lizzie an engraved silver cup and appeared rather close with Lizzie until Emma returned home. This was when Lizzie began being more disrespectful towards Abby, including referring to her as Mrs. Gordon, <laughs> and spoke harshly directly to her as well as about her. She herself wasn't, like, a spectacular student by any means. I mean, I wasn't either. So, again, <laughs> who am I to judge? Right. But uh, after finishing her secondary school, she did not go on to further her education. She ended up remaining living with her family, Lizzie did. So, in the house, we have Andrew and Abby. And then we have Andrew's oldest daughter, who's 
Emma, and she's like 27, 28 at this time. And then Lizzie, who's like 17, 18. And then they have a service staff, service aides. So as Lizzie and Emma continued to live with Andrew, they were beginning to become more convinced that Abby was a gold digger and was out for his money. And so they would often speak out against her to friends and family. Um, According to the family dressmaker, her name was Hannah Gifford. She said, I was speaking to her of a garment I had made for Mrs. Borden. And instead of saying Mrs. Borden, I said mother. And she says, don't say that to me. For she is a mean, good-for-nothing thing. I said, oh, Lizzie, you don't mean that. She said, yes, I don't have much to do with her. I stay in my room most of the time. And I said, you come down to your meals, don't you? And she said, yes, but we don't eat with them if we can help it. <laughs> Jeez. So, fully avoided mm-hmm. dad and stepmom. You would expect them to be in, like, the more socialite, aristocratic, right. you know. But they they were actually treated more of like a middle class tier of the social structure because of, I keep wanting to call him Henry, because <laughs> of Andrew's uh, business, these like shady dealings. Mm. And because they also didn't live in like the influ- uh, affluential na- neighborhood um, called The Hill. Excuse so me. they were rich, but they weren't good enough. Yes. They were rich, but they were like, so think of it as kind of like somebody from Plattsmith hitting it big with the lottery, you know? Right. Yeah, that kind of thing. So they were rich, mm-hmm. but not good enough. Not good enough. Not good enough. So they were worried that Abby was a gold digger, Emma and Lizzie were. Um, meanwhile, Emma and Lizzie did not work. They would instead do chores around the house, and then they volunteered through their church. Lizzie would often teach Sunday school to children of recent immigrants to the United States. And then she served as secretary treasurer for the Christian Endeavor Society, whose mission was to promote an earnest Christian life among its members, to increase their mutual acquaintanceship, and to make them more useful in the service of God. She was an active member of the Women's Christian Temperance Union, which, do you know what? The temperance movement is um wasn't that the like anti-alcohol uh, it group? was alcohol prohibition mm-hmm. so yeah, I'm, they I'm were a boardwalk empire man <laughs> <laughs> yeah yep so lizzie borden was in support of the 18th amendment which outlawed alcohol consumption in the united states and even found time to take flowers and fruit to the sick in the hospitals or homebound individuals hmm so, she she lived she lived a pretty uh, a busy volunteering life, you know, yeah. if you know what I mean. So, um, around this, I mean, they didn't give an exact timeline when um, everything started to fray. It, it made it sound like it was more over time, mm-hmm. but uh, life was strained in the Borden household. Regardless, they did not get along with Abby. Abby. Feels like she did nothing wrong. I didn't really see anything that would indicate that she did anything wrong other than being the stepmother and yeah. them just banding together. And so they just, it, it was strained. Mm-hmm. Um, Lizzie was actually described as an attractive redhead, which I had no idea that she was described as 
attractive or that she was a redhead. I knew that she was a redhead because I've seen color photos of her, but I would never go as far as considering her attractive. Apparently she was attractive and had many suitors and escorts. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. And she had her eyes set on having a husband who lived in the hills. So, or on the hill, in the hill, whatever. That ritzy neighborhood. So if she would consider to, like, find somebody outside of those aspirations, her dad would immediately, like, shut it down. Mm-hmm. And call them fortune hunters. <laughs> so basically gold diggers. Right. So Lizzie was basically, like, you know, she was approaching her you know, mid to late 20s and basically entering spinsterhood mm-hmm. with her sister um, and so around that time, she was like, you know what, fuck it. I don't need a man. I'm going to focus on money. I'm going to focus on no getting man. paid. I'm going to focus on making that coin. Mm-hmm. Um, which actually, she didn't plan on making it, per se, as to <laughs> just making sure that it wasn't gone by the time that she inherited it from her right. dad and stepmother. So, she... With the fear that Abby was a gold digger, um, it became even worse when Andrew started gifting land and property to Abby's family, mm. which was very wrong in Lizzie and Emma's eyes because they weren't blood related. Yeah. And so they felt like they were unworthy of receiving such gifts. And so um, after a particularly nasty fight, Um, over the fact that Andrew had basically given Abby's sister a house, they demanded that he gave, he give them something of like comparable value. Mm -hmm. So um, he agreed to sell them a rental property that he had. That was actually originally the home that he and Sarah shared with the with their children before she passed. And then upon her death, they actually moved out and he just began renting it out. Right. Um, so he sold it to them for one dollar, and which is like in today's money is like thirty bucks. Mm-hmm. So gave him a house for thirty bucks. But then a couple months later, it got even worse. So Andrew, which I mean, I guess they were kind of mollified, and in court later, like during prosecution, they were talking to Emma about it, and they're like, "Well, do you feel like you demanded a comparison?" She's like, "No." And she's like, okay, or the prosecutor's like, okay, but do you think that you got it because of you wanting a comparison? And she said, yeah. Like, so you basically said no to one thing and then said yes to the same thing, just worded differently. Right. (laughs) Is that entrapment? I don't know. It was the 1800s, like, who even knows? Mm -hmm. So (laughs) that's not even entrapment. I'm just, like, woozy right now, guys. I'm getting a little woozy. So, um, so in 1892, in May of 1892, Andrew reportedly killed an entire flock of pigeons that lived in the barn on the uh, lived in the barn on the Borden family farm. Aww. And he claimed to have done this because he was worried that it would attract neighborhood children to hunt them. So he just, you know, solved the problem the American way and just hacked them to death. Wow. There were rumors saying that he killed him with a hatchet, but that was just rumors. And 
that probably became really popular after the whole murder. Mm-hmm. So Lizzie had actually built the roost for the birds herself. So she took it pretty hard when Andrew went in and killed all the pigeons. Wow. She she was taking care of those pigeons like they Mm -hmm. were her pets. And he went in and basically killed Mm -hmm. all of her pets. Yep. Dude, I'd be so pissed. Yeah. Like, sure, they're just fucking pigeons, but come on. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like... That's really fucked up. Yeah. The fuck, Dad? Being but, down. you know, like... So, 27 years of constantly thinking that your stepmother is a gold digger, and then your dad kills all your pigeons. Right. You know. No. After you had to beg That's him fun. for something. Yeah. And then, um... So then, a few weeks later, a huge fight broke out because Emma and Lizzie had basically been asked to give back the house that they had been given. And so they were like, fuck it, fine, we'll sell it back to you for $5,000. And they were like super pissed. And so they paid a dollar for it, and he bought it back for them for 5000 which in today's money is like $145,000. Right. So they got, you know, like a really good turnaround. But... Still, why? This was why did they one. ask for it this, back? It was speculated that he wanted to give it to his father-in-law. What? Apparently, his fucking in-laws were still alive. Like it's like 1892, and you got like two 70-year-olds or something still alive. 60, 70-year-olds. Like how is that even possible? Like so, people you're... died of like food poisoning all the right. time. Like so, you're giving <laughs> all of this shit to your in-laws. Your own daughters complain, so you give them something, and then you take take it it back back to give to your in-laws. Yeah. No wonder she fucking killed him. If she she killed him. Like, are you serious? Um, That's a shitty parent. So then, they got the money, and at this point, they're like, you know what, we just need to get the fuck away. Mm-hmm. So, um, this was in June of 1892, perhaps early July of 1892. Um, and Lizzie and Emma decided to go out of town to get some time away from the family. And according to Emma, this included time away from each other as well. So Lizzie went to New Bedford, Massachusetts and spent time with some friends up there or family or whatever. And then, um, Emma traveled around Massachusetts visiting various friends and family. Um, A few weeks later, Lizzie decided to return to Fall River and spent a few days at a room and board house before she finally actually, like, returned home. So she came back, stayed in a hotel for a couple nights, and then was like, okay, now I really got to do laundry. (laughs) I don't want to, but let's do it. Mm -hmm. So she goes back home, and within, like, days of her returning back the entire family is violently ill for like numerous days including and uh including her okay yes so her her um abby andrew and their maid slash servant her name is bridget sullivan but they call her maggie she's an irish immigrant i think that that was basically the name that 
all Irish immigrant maids basically have is either like Maggie or mm. but mm. they called her Maggie. Okay. So um she was also sick. And then Emma was still gone at this point, so she was not sick. I'm like, I don't know how many days. Because there's no specific timeline of, like, the day that she got back to the day that this all, like, goes down. But it says that on, like, the third or fourth day, um, Abby called the family doctor. His name is Dr. Seabury Bowen. And he suspected that it was food poisoning due to leftover meat being left out on the stove too long even though Abby had shared with him the fear that someone had tried to poison her husband. Andrew was mad that Abby had called a doctor, though, and calling it a waste of money, ordered Dr. Bowen to leave. <laughs> um, later that evening, the Bordens had an unannounced visitor, visitor John Vinicum Morse, who is actually the younger brother of the late Sarah Morse, mm -hmm. who was married to Andrew. Um, they, he appeared on their doorstep. He wanted to talk business with Andrew. Um, and he was invited to spend the night in the guest room, even though he didn't have much of a relationship with the family. He had never really met the girls until like two years prior. And so it was, you know, it was kind of weird that he was showing up anyway, but whatever. Right. Um, the next morning, uh, Andrew and Abby both rose early and then so did Uncle John. So their maid, Maggie, made the breakfast for them while John and Andrew were talking business. And Maggie later said that the conversation sounded a little heated, but didn't know what was going on. Um, and after they had finished eating around 745, John and Andrew moved their discussion um, to the sitting room where they talked for like another hour. Uh, around 845, John left to go uh, buy an oxen and to what he said was visit his niece. And it doesn't say, like, who his niece is, but, you know, I mean, he could have gone to visit Emma. Right. Of all people. Like, I mean, she's in Massachusetts somewhere. And, like, on one of the articles that I had read, it said that she was, like, 15 miles away. Oh, yeah. That's so nothing. it's not like she was far, but, you know, it was 1890s, so not everybody had a car or whatever. So, um, around 845, John left. He's did plan to return for lunch around noon, though, so um, he would be back. Shortly after John left, Andrew left to go for his morning walk, and he decided to go walk towards downtown, um, which is where his office was. And then Abby went upstairs to change the sheets and the blankets in the guest bedroom, which is where John was staying. Um, about 10.30, Andrew returned from his walk, but the door was locked. So he tried his key, but he couldn't unlock the door. He knocked, and Maggie tried to open the door, but noticed it was jammed shut. And when they finally got the door open, Andrew inquired where his wife was. Um, Lizzie was coming downstairs at that time and said that Abby had been called away, um, that a friend had fallen ill, and she needed to go care for them. And so Andrew was like, good enough, which is basically probably what he said, <laughs> and decided to go lie down in the sitting room and presumably fell asleep on the couch. Mm -hmm. Maggie herself was still not feeling good from puke fest of 1892. <laughs> so she went upstairs and decided to take a nap herself. And she said that shortly after she fell asleep, like basically had just started to doze off. She was woken up by the scream of Lizzie who was uh, yelling her name and telling her to go grab the family doctor. 
Um, she ran across the street to grab Dr. C. Burry Bowen again, as well as a neighbor named Adelaide Churchill. And then uh, Maggie Adelaide Churchill um, and Dr. Bowen went back to the house, looked over at Andrew and realized that he was gone. And then um, they were like looking around the house to see if the person was still there. And Maggie and Adelaide were upstairs and they actually discovered the body of Abby Borden in the upstairs guest bedroom. And she was also dead. Um, both of them had been severely beaten in the head with, and they were caused by someone wielding a small, like sharp hatchet. So they were killed by multiple bullets to the skull without any winning mm-hmm. <laughs> good stuff. So uh, shortly after they were discovered, the police were called to the scene. They searched for evidence of an intruder and found nothing. They also looked for a murder weapon, and in the basement they found two hatchets, two axes, and a hatchet head with a broken handle. The hatchet head was suspected of being the murder weapon, um, and the break in the handle appeared to be fresh, so they thought, you know, this is the murder weapon. Um, no blood they didn't or find anything? Any, nope, they didn't buy, find any blood anywhere except on the bodies of the victims. Wow. So then the crime scene became, you know, in 1890s fashion, severely contaminated because the media and the neighbors and grandpa <laughs> and Bo Cephas's dog all wanted to come in and see the murder scene. Bo Cephas's And dog. so, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, possibly even uh, uh, Keith Richards, you know, because he was back he was around back then. He did live back then. <laughs> he did. He did. He'll still be around after a nuclear war. It's fine. Yeah. Don't worry about it. He, he's like a cockroach. Nothing can kill him. <laughs> He'll be here past the cockroaches. Right. It's fine. Um, so it became seriously contaminated uh, by curious neighbors, journalists, family. And the family was given a lot of leeway in cleaning up the house. Um, so nobody bothered to check Lizzie or Bridget for blood stains, mm-hmm. and only just like kind of like walked in the room and like looked around and then walked out. Um, I even read in a couple different places that Lizzie actually like hit on investigators, <laughs> and at one point even was seen carrying like clothes that had blood on them. And when they asked her what they were, she said that they were her period clothes. I mean, they might have like. And they were like, ooh, gross. I don't want to look. Yeah. <laughs> Men don't want to know so anything didn't. about that. And honest to God, they probably didn't know anything about it anyway. So they probably, like, there could have been, like, buckets and gallons of blood. Yeah. And then they were like, that sounds about right. Yeah, okay. Got mm-hmm. it. So, some yeah, people exactly. literally think that's the case. Like, uh, yeah. So there are some people out there that literally have no idea what a period entails. At all. Uh-huh. So even with, like, the cops not doing, like, the best job, they still soon came to the conclusion that the murders must have been committed by somebody living within or staying within or just being within the boarding house. Right. Because of her absence, Emma was automatically ruled out. And they seemingly never focused on the maid, Maggie. I think they questioned her a little bit because she was an Irish immigrant and everything. 
Mm-hmm. But um, their suspicions, like, were mostly surrounding Lizzie. Just because um, she had made it known that, I mean, in the past, that she disliked her aunt, or her aunt, her, her stepmother. stepmother. And so it was already kind of like, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So um, just two days after the murder, newspapers began reporting that there was evidence Lizzie Borden might have something to do with her parents' murders. Uh, during the police investigation, Abby's body was found cold, indicating that she was actually attacked first, and the coroner, coroner estimated sometime between 9 a.m. and 10.30 that she was struck in the head with a hatchet about 18 times. He further concluded that she was facing her killer at the time of the attack, but the first blow struck the side of the head, causing her to turn and fall face down on the floor, at which time 17 more blows were directed to the back of her head. Dang. So it was like karate chop to the face. Mm-hmm. And then hatches to the back of the head. That's a brutal way to go. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. Oh, I mean, like, and that, that was a very common way for people to go at that time. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. You, you got a hatchet. You the, Everyone's got a hatchet. Yeah. Yep, you got the Louisiana Axe Man. Exactly. Or the New Orleans Axe Man, whatever Axe Man. Yep. You got the Velisca Axe Murders. You got the dude who traveled the train who's theoretically all the same person. I've, I'm still reading that book. <laughs> the man on the train or whatever. Yeah. So at the time of her death, Abby was 64 years old. She weighed about a, a 200 pounds. Um, she was described, some people described her as humorless. She displayed little or no affection, but others said that she was kindly and eager to please. So that was also very similar to what they said about Andrew it was either he was very hated or he was very well liked. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it was black and white with these guys. Yeah. Andrew's body was still warm when the police arrived, indicating that he was killed after Abby. The coroner estimated that murder occurred between 1030 and 1110 AM. And he was struck in the face with a hatchet 10 times. Okay. Lizzie was arrested on August 11th. And she was represented by Andrew Jennings, who had long been an attorney for the Borden family. The next day, she entered a plea of not guilty and was transported to the Taunton, Massachusetts jail, which was about eight miles north of Fall River. The preliminary hearing took place from August 25th until September 1st of 92. So her arraignment lasted like a week. (laughs) Um, A few months later, they had the grand jury So the grand jury heard the evidence between November 7th and November 21st of 1892. And then she was indicted for murder on December 2nd of 1892. And then during this time, the newspapers were flooded with varying accounts over the whole affair. So a story in the Boston Daily Globe reported rumors that Lizzie and her stepmother never got along together peacefully and that for a considerable time back, they had not spoken. However, the newspaper also noted that family members insisted relations between the two women were quite normal. The Boston Herald was kinder, reporting from the consensus of opinion. It can be said in Lizzie Borden's life, there is not one unmaidenly nor a single deliberately unkind. Hundreds more stories appeared around the world describing the deaths in lurid detail and speculating on possible motives, even possible other perpetrators, which I have a list of all main possible suspects. Okay. Which some of them are like bold. Mm-hmm. But, okay. Um, so Lizzie was held in the Taunton, Massachusetts jail 
Her trial began in New Bedford, Massachusetts, um, her murder trial on J June 5th of 1893, so almost a full year later. By the time the trial began, Lizzie had already become a media sensation, obviously. Um, could you imagine what would have happened if it was like Facebook? I know. Yeah. Like. I mean, we, we have seen some pretty insane murders just in, in our lifetime in oh, general. Yeah. Talking to you about Jay Simpson. <laughs> so during the investigation, inquest, and trial, a number of suspicious events were uncovered. And I'm going to list all of them. All right. That I found on a website and copied. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, isn't that what we're, what we're all doing, to be honest? Yeah. You know? So um, during, like, the discovery phase of the trial it was found out that the day before the murders took place lizzie had tried to buy prussic acid do you know what that is uh cyanide yes so she tried to buy prussic acid <laughs> from a drugstore saying she, she was going to kill she needed... some rats i heard that she needed what i read in one spot i have heard the rats thing but the other spot is she needed to like um burn the ends of something Mm. Of, like, a fabric to, like, seal it. Kind of like you would do to, with a lighter to seal the end of something. Right. Interesting. And so, um, but she was denied by the drugstore attendant because she didn't have a prescription and cyanide was prescription only. Mm. Which, what can you, you even get cyanide anymore? Like. I don't think so. You would have to know. get it, like, from rat poison. Yeah. Like. Yeah. But why was cyanide yeah. a prescription anyway? What are you going to do with it other than kill people? And, you know, maybe it is because, like, the only place that you could buy it was in a pharmacy, but it was because it was poison, and the only people who would know how to handle that stuff is pharmacists. And so, like, it's technically rat poison, but the only place you can get it is pharmacy. Right. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> it's regardless. It was regardless. sketchy. Right. And that was the day before the murder. Okay. So then um, the judge actually ordered that that piece of info be suppressed from the trial. So that damning evidence was not allowed. Uh, on the morning of the murders, Maggie, a.k.a. Bridget Sullivan, said that when Andrew returned from his walk at about 1030, the lock was jammed and she had to let him in. And then during this time, she testified that she had heard Lizzie laugh from the top of the stairs. However, Lizzie denied it. So like Lizzie locked Shortly him out, after basically? Yeah, okay. basically, like, locked her dad out. Right. And was, like, giggling because he was locked out. Okay. So then shortly after Andrew came home, he asked where Abby was, and Lizzie replied that she had received a note to visit a sick friend. However, neither a sick friend nor a note to Abby was ever located. Lizzie also said that she had removed Andrew's boots and helped him into his slippers before he laid down on the sofa for a nap. However, when the police found his body, he was wearing his shoes. Mm-hmm. The front door and all the windows on the first floor had been locked. Therefore, the only way to have entered the house was via the kitchen. But the women were in and out of there all morning. If someone had come in, how he or she would have managed to commit two crimes and escape without attention. Like, that would have been really hard to do. Though it was highly unlikely. During police questioning, Lizzie's answers were confusing and contradictory. Uh, she claimed to have been in various places during the murder. And then she also appeared to be both erratic and calm at the same time. And then uh, she said that she had taken morphine to calm her nerves. I mean, you can't blame her. Her dad and oh, stepmom no, yeah. just were murdered brutally. Yeah. 
Potentially by her own hand. Potentially by her, yeah. Exactly. Um, it's It seemed unlikely that Lizzie had not heard anything during the brutal crimes. So for her to say that she been in the barn loft and like didn't hear anything the assort the authorities were unconvinced because the barn loft revealed no footprints on the dusty floor and the stifling feet in the loft would have discouraged anyone from being there because it was remember it's august 3rd and 4th um and then during the inquest and all that they found out that the victim's wills were missing and Andrew's will likely would have left much of his estate to his wife, who would leave little or nothing to Andrew's daughters. Mm-hmm. Alternatively, Abby died first. Andrew's estate would automatically be left to his daughter. So, Abby how convenient! Yes. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> and then during the trial, I already kind of mentioned this, but during the trial, Lizzie's. Oh no! I had, the prosecution had made it seem like they had like a strained relationship and everything. Um, but Lizzie's attorney emphasized the close relationship that she had with her father mm. and also the many church, charity, and volunteer efforts that she was involved in. Um, the prosecution was led by Hosea Knowlton, um, and he stressed the brutality of the crimes and Lizzie's hatred for Abby. So there's the prosecution saying, like, hey, no, they really hate each other. Right. Um, during the trial, Emma Borden showed strong support for her sister and testified her, in her defense. Um, Borden did not take the stand in her own defense, so Lizzie didn't. And her inquest testimony was not admitted into evidence. The trial itself started on June 5th. On June 20th, so just over two weeks, um, after about 30 minutes of deliberation, Lizzie was acquitted of all charges due to lack of forensic evidence mm-hmm. linking her to the scene. Mm-hmm. Upon hearing the verdict, Lizzie let out a, a yelp of joy. And actually, like, there were quite a few that were qu- critical of her getting acquitted. But not everybody was. So New York Times reported, It will be with a certain relief to every right-minded man or woman who has followed the case that the jury at New Bedford has not only acquitted Miss Lizzie Borden of the atrocious crime with which she was charged, but it has done so with a promptness that was very significant. Fucking words, New York Times. <laughs> Damn, really is. Mm-hmm. Like you should be maybe add some commas in there too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that title means. I just know the glove didn't fit or something. The, the, um, the glove didn't fit. <laughs> so then, um, weirdly enough, this was the end of the investigation. Mm-hmm. They never investigated anybody else for the crime. The case remains officially unsolved. Mm-hmm. After her acquittal, Lizzie returned to the family home and continued to live with her sister, Emma. And then rumors flew about them. And most people didn't believe that she was innocent, obviously. And the newspapers, as well as the public, just, you know, wouldn't let shit be. And so um, she became a pariah of her own town, Fall River. <laughs> Even though she was acquitted and everything, Abby's family actually received a considerable amount of settlement that um, Lizzie and Emma paid to them, or like the estate paid to them. And then Lizzie and Emma inherited the rest of the estate, which allowed them to purchase a new home, which they purchased together. So Lizzie and Emma, BFFs, sisters forever, living together. Lizzie finally got her home in the Hill neighborhood. Um, and she named the home Maplecroft and 
she actually bought this like right after she got it. I think I did hear that. Yeah. Like it was really quick. <laughs> yeah. Like spend that money, girl. Spend it. Right. I mean, might as well. You're don't acquired. even don't even let your ledger ink dry before you spend it. I mean, what are they gonna do? They can't. They can't try her again. That's double jeopardy. So. When did that become a law? Even like I have no idea. Maybe it wasn't a law back then, but I don't know. I don't know. I should probably learn that shit, huh? I mean, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Up until I saw the um um oh Ashley Judd movie, I always just thought Double Jeopardy was just the bonus round of Jeopardy. <laughs> I've never seen that movie. I have seen parts of it. I actually really like Ashley Judd. She's all right. So she hadn't even been, she basically hadn't even been acquitted of the crime yet. And she bought Maplecroft. Um, so she purchased it in 1893. Basically, like, she was out of jail by the time she was closing. Right. Uh, it, it's a Queen Anne Victorian home. And it was roughly about 4,000 square foot. Had eight bedrooms, four bathrooms, and six fireplaces. Dang. They hired live-in maids, a housekeeper, and a coachman. And then Lizzie then began going by Lizbeth instead of Lizzie, which it looked like Lizzie was her given name. was like her it, government. It wasn't actually Elizabeth. It was Lizzie. No, it was Lizzie. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Everything that I saw is Lizzie. Interesting. Yeah. So then now she goes by Lizbeth. Um, she continued to attend the same church and hoped that with, you know, her newfound money 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 mm -hmm. that she would maybe fit into like the upper class society because now you know her dad wasn't selling eggs on main street <laughs> hey you you won't buy this egg <laughs> she was hoping to get upper class and um she maybe got like a smile and a nod and like a wave here and there but soon um people began to stop talking to her and she was no longer, like, greeted when she walked into church. Um, people began to avert their eyes. A lot of people really kind of looked down on her, too, because she never, like, actually mourned the death of her father and stepmother. Mm -hmm. And so, like, what I read was she never wore mourning clothes, like M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G clothes. Right. So she never, you know, some black or showed respect that her dad and stepmother were brutally murdered, you know, and maybe act remorseful if she hadn't done it, but, you know, whatever. Right. That's fine. She instead flaunted her wealth, I bought mean... a new carriage, <laughs> bought two new horses, purchased fashionable and expensive clothes, traveled to Boston, New York, Washington, stayed at a bunch of, like, hotels, went to theaters, um... And the newspapers loved this. <laughs> loved this. I'm sure. Um, it, it was basically like the Kardashian of her time. Like a Kardashian. Like the whole Kardashian family at that time, basically. Funny. I referenced OJ and they're... Huh. Anyway. <laughs> so then the Fall River Globe every year on the anniversary of the murders printed an article about the crime... And always openly pointed at Lizzie Borden as the suspect. Um, speaking of eggs, eggs were thrown <laughs> at her house. <laughs> her reputation then was further tarnished when she was accused of shoplifting in Providence, Rhode Island 
only four years later. So in 1897. In 1904, Lizzie and Emma moved out of the Hill neighborhood. And this was when Lizzie Borden met. They tried so hard to get there. I know. (laughs) They made it 11 whole years. Jeez. All the damn eggs. All those damn eggs. (laughs) (laughs) What they don't realize is that Andrew's actually selling them every night. His ghost is. (laughs) <laughs> he's, just, he's just out in front of their house selling eggs to other ghosts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, you want this egg? May, may I offer you an egg in this I like eggs. I like eggs. <laughs> anyway. So, um, Lizzie in 1904 met actress Nance O'Neill, and they formed a like really strong bond. And there were people even speculating that they were lovers, which then begs the question, like, there were apparently rumors flying around around the time of her and Maggie were having a thing together. Mm-hmm. Yep. I and so that. then that Abby had walked in on them and that they killed her because she was going to or had told Andrew or something like that. So there's that and then that kind of thing. Um Emma did not like Lizzie's friendship with the actress Nance O'Neill. And after Lizzie threw a party um, for O'Neill, Emma moved out. It was like, bye, bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, years later, she finally was living in a nursing home. But between the years of 1904 and 1923, nobody knows where Emma went. And she, she didn't resurface until 1923. <laughs> in New Hampshire. Yep. I don't know how far. So uh, not very far. Massachusetts and New Hampshire, yeah, for sure yeah. not. Um, she moved to the nursing home in New Hampshire for health reasons and allegedly to avoid renewed publicity following the publication of another book about the murders. So she's like, yeah, we're going to skip town and go this way. <laughs> um, Lizzie continued to live in her house in the hill, and at some point she replaced her carriage and horses with a fine limousine. Mm-hmm. She got a limo. What was um, a limo back then? She also like, cont- just a larger carriage. <laughs> <laughs> it has four horses was, instead of two. No, it was in the twenty, like teens, nineteen tens. Oh, really? So it was probably yeah, it was probably like good. I think there's like a Rolls Royce style like that. Gotcha. Probably didn't have a roof, but you yeah. know, <laughs> roofs were. Overrated. A novel concept. Oh yeah, like who needs a nobody roof? went out in the rain. Yeah. Well, you couldn't drive on the roads in the rain anyway. They're all mud. Exactly. So after she got the fine limousine, she continued to travel extensively. And then this, this is kind of rude. They said that as she grew older, she became stout and matronly. So does what does that mean? Does that mean hunched and fat? Like probably. Like basically, rude. they're like saying like she. She did not, quote-unquote, age well. Like, yeah, she, she went to seed. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the whole expectation of women to age gracefully, as if we have any fucking say in how we age. Like, fuck off. Fuck all the way off. <laughs> so then, get this, though. This is crazy. Um, in 1926, so, so then she would have been 66 at this time, she had her gallbladder removed, and afterwards she was, like, really, really sick constantly. So, um, I don't know what happened. Maybe they forgot to close something up or left a 
syringe in there or mm. maybe a leech got left in there. I don't know. <laughs> um, and she died of pneumonia in Fall River, Massachusetts on June 1st of 1927. Um, they did not publish funeral details and very few people attended her funeral. And then her sister, Emma, died of kidney complications nine days later. Wow, really? Nine days after Lizzie's death Dang. in Newmarket, New Hampshire, yes. Hmm. And then the sisters were buried side by side near their father in the family plot in Oak Grove Cemetery. After Lizzie's death, she left $30,000, which is equivalent to $422,500 in 2018 money, um, to the Fall River Animal Rescue League. Aww. And then she left $500, which is about $7,000, in trust for perpetual care at her father's grave. And then her closest friend and cousin each received $6,000 back then, which was roughly about $85,000. That's a lot of money to put towards your dead father's grave if you're the one that, in fact, murdered him. Yeah. You know? Especially if she didn't give a shit. Maybe, maybe if her dad was collateral damage. Also... You want to know my theory? Mm-hmm. My theory is that Andrew didn't actually leave for his morning walk. That John left to go buy oxen and visit his niece and then snuck back around into the house. And Lizzie, like, let him in or something. Mm-hmm. And then he went back into the office before Andrew even left for his morning walk and killed him with the hatchet. Oh, no, but then... But Abby died Abby's first, yeah. Warm. Yeah. Hmm. It is very mm-hmm. sus. The whole John it's thing. It's super sus. So then my other thought is that like the entire time that they were taking a break from their family and they we were traveling and they were like, Emma said, oh no, we absolutely only saw each other one time the entire time we were gone. Mm-hmm. Okay. One time as in the entire time you were gone. Right. Or, <laughs> um, so maybe they went to go visit John. Was five minutes or was it like a week, you know? It, right, exactly. And like plan it out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So go visit John, plan it out. And so then she was supposed to drug them or poison them or whatever Lizzie was. And then it was going to be taken care of. And then it didn't work the way it was supposed to. So John was like, here, I'll come take care of it for you. Mm-hmm. Try to get cyanide. Couldn't get cyanide. And then was like, fuck it. Just use this hatchet. So what if, like, uh, Andrew didn't go on his walk, uh, and Lizzie, while John and Andrew were, like, arguing, Lizzie was killing Abby, and then came down and, like, John had left or something, or acted like he left, but didn't leave, and Mm -hmm. then so Andrew went to go lay down, and then Lizzie's like, here's the fucking hatchet go to it you know what i mean because if she yeah. like if she actually cared for her father i can't imagine her actually doing the act you know what i mean yeah but who yeah. but well, why why would john care you know well because he didn't have a relationship with the family mm-hmm. until about 2 years ago when he finally like started having a relationship with his nieces right and they informed him that he, they were pretty well off and that his their dad was giving stuff away to their stepmom who mm-hmm. was not afforded this right or something like that. You know, it's so crazy that they were acquitted also and that nobody else was looked into. That That is 
super weird. Like, you wouldn't even yeah. try to find, like, anyone else or any more evidence. You right. Know? So, there's a lot of stuff about it. Like, um, the fact that they didn't really check the barn because uh, there weren't any footprints or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, you have to remember, there were people in and out of that whole area after the murder happened, including the barn. So there may not have been distinct footprints, but that's because they got fucked up by everyone else's footprints. You know? People are gonna people, man, I guess. Yeah. There was another thing that, and I think it was that TikTok I sent you, actually, um, where, what was it? Some, Some guy admitted to being, like, at the train station, right? So a guy had been at, like, a train station or at a a horse depot or something like that. Yeah. And came across a guy that was all bloody and stuff and Mm -hmm. needed help getting cleaned up and needed a couple bucks and stuff. And the guy had helped clean him up and say, no, you know, there's no blood. And he said that he was coming from a farm, which the Bordens owned a farm. He said he got into a fight with the, yeah. He had a disagreement with the landowner and he got in a fight. He didn't want to get arrested because, you know, it was an influential guy in town. Mm-hmm. And so he was on the run. So then that's the that's another theory. But that's like the newest theory. All the other theories are all theories that I've known from, you know, yeah. Nagy and Lizzie having a thing to Emma not actually being gone to John being the one to swing the hatchet mm-hmm. to whatever or maybe maybe the the poisoning the poisoning that happened was originally supposed to just be abby but then everybody got sick because lizzie pulled the princess bride and fucked up which cup was which right or emperor's new groove did or whatever you know Mm -hmm. whatever cusco's poison whatever reference you want to take Mm -hmm. (laughs) cusco's poison that's right (laughs) cusco's poison the poison for cusco Um, but I yeah, I mean, there there are so many different yeah. theories and possibilities, and, and we'll just never know yeah. what fucking happened. Like, there's there's a couple of theories on the major suspects in the case, like the doctor, mm-hmm. um, saying that like he lived across the street. Maybe he like took the murder weapon with him, or whatever. Or I don't know. It's just, um. The one that has always kind of interested me was the was the one where Lizzie and Bridget were together romantically, mm-hmm. and that it, I I have heard that like you said, um, Lizzie was carrying like bloody clothing while the like police were there or inspectors were there or whatever. Um, I had heard that the inspectors or police uh, found bloody clothing in the wash, and that basically. Bridget and Lizzie were working together. Lizzie, you know, killed them both, stripped off her clothes real quick before, you know, anyone came with the help of Bridget. And then Bridget went immediately mm-hmm. to go wash the clothes, you know? Yep. So, it, I mean, yeah. it's... Plus they found they found the potential murder weapon in the basement, which is where the laundry would have been done, too. Mm-hmm. And that was clean, as far as they could tell. Yeah. So... Yeah, there was no blood trace on it or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't have luminol back then. Right, exactly. So it's, it's definitely <laughs> um, a very interesting, mysterious case. 
Yeah. So this is what leads into my next week's story, which will be the hauntings of the Lizzie Borden house or the next episode, not next week's. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah. But the Lizzie Borden house is still standing. <laughs> it's a bed and, and breakfast. You can actually find some. Yes, it's a bed and breakfast. Now it actually just got, re- uh, it got bought out last year. Mm-hmm. And so it's a little bit more maybe geared towards less historical fact, maybe a little more paranormal phenomena type thing. Yeah. Um, but they they allow you a lot of free access to that. Well, not free access to the house. They say that you can't enter areas if you're not. Um, there are certain areas you can't enter if you're not staying there, or certain areas you can't be in if you're not staying in that certain area, like the basement. Mm-hmm. They have ghost tours. They have ghost hunts. They have like just house tours. So it would be fun to go to. And it's all Massachusetts. It's it's basically exactly how it was during the murders. The same yeah. couch that so, Andrew got murdered on, the same bed that oh, Abby got murdered on, it's all still there. The frames are all still there, but they actually replaced all the mattresses yeah. and all the bedding. Well, they're not going to let you sleep couches... on a murder bed. <laughs> well, yeah. And then the couch has actually been replaced, too. Oh, but I it's have. a replica. It's an exact replica. Oh, mm-hmm. gotcha. And then they have pictures in the house of the crime scene. And, yeah, yeah. Ooh, I get to post pictures of the Lizzie Borden crime scene. Yes, you do. But I suppose we should get back into this. Yeah, I have my shot ready. I'm taking X-rated this time. I got my shot ready, too. So let's cheers to Lizzie Borden. Better jobs. Oh, Lizzie Borden. (laughs) Let's cheers to Lizzie Borden and uh, looking forward to a... Northeastern trip in 2023. <laughs> yes. She is. And also um, not wanting to go Lizzie Borden on anybody. Yeah. Let's she not is. take a, an axe and whack anyone. Gosh, get a new job. That, yeah, for sure. That's so warm. Ah! All right, Tasha. What are you going to scare me with tonight? So, like you, I kind of got this idea off of TikTok because I've been seeing a lot about it lately. Uh-huh. Uh, so I am going to tell you today about Lake Lanier. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. I've only recently just found out about this place. Me too. Like, in the last, like, two years. But oh. I would consider that recent for me. See, I, I never even knew it existed until, uh, a, a few weeks ago. This so. was in, this is in Georgia, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So yeah, this, this is um, Yeah, it's a, it's a completely yeah. new thing for me and it just kept popping up on my TikTok and I was like there's something to this. And I'm like it's a lake. It's it's there can't be a whole lot about it. And I ha- I wanted to keep it easy this week because I had to make cupcakes for my neighbor yesterday, so I'd only have 3 days to do my research. But no. Nope. Deep dive literally into Lake Lanier. Yep. Uh and it's ridiculous Her. history so and synchronicities <sighs> so we're gonna get into this shit <laughs> let's do it to yeah. it chachi all right so with several million visitors annually lake lanier is one of america's favorite lakes it is the largest lake in georgia having nearly 700 miles of shoreline spread over 38,000 acres The water in Lake Lanier comes from Georgia's Blue Ridge Mountains. 
The rain falls on the mountains, runs over beautiful waterfalls, and makes its way down to Lake Lanier via the Chattahoochee and Chestati rivers. Lake Lanier offers something for everyone. Available activities include fishing, boating, and camping, golfing facilities, as well as the world's best kayaking, water skiing, and swimming spots. There are over 45 parks and 10 campgrounds that line the shores of the lake, and in 2013, Lake Lanier welcomed its first state park, Don Carter State Park. Really big lake. It's big. Yeah. Okay. The rowing and sprint canoeing events during the 1996 Summer Olympics were held at the north end of the lake, and it has since hosted many international events as well. Visitors can also enjoy a wide variety of restaurants, shopping, and entertainment in the surrounding area. The two largest cities on Lake Lanier are Buford and Gainesville, and Atlanta is only a half-hour drive away. The North Georgia Mountains are also close and great for a hike on the Appalachian Trail, waterfall sightings, or having a drink in one of the North Georgia mountain wineries. Say something? Yeah. Of course it's tied to the Appalachian Trail and Mountains. (laughs) Go on. So you might be asking, Tosh, why the fuck are you telling us about a lake? (laughs) So because Lake Lanier has a super sketch past, but it is also said to be cursed and haunted because of this. So Lake Lanier is a man-made lake. It was created in the 1950s as an answer to the area's water supply needs, including those of the growing metropolitan area of Atlanta. Named after Sidney Lanier, a poet and Confederate Army veteran, the lake's original purposes were to provide hydroelectricity, navigation, and flood control of the Chattahoochee River, and water supply for the city of Atlanta. So the groundbreaking for the project, which included the New Buford Dam, took place in the spring of 1950. Soon after, the government began buying up all the land needed for the project, They purchased more than 50,000 acres, reportedly paying landowners $30 per acre. Some 700 families had to move to make way for the lake. Some moved their homes, but others just moved their belongings. Most buildings were abandoned, some of them to be torn down, specifically the wooden ones. Any buildings and structures that would be tall enough to extend above a water depth of 35 feet were removed. However... There are remnants of the area that still protrude from above the waterline. The 160 islands that dot this lake are actually the hilltops of those farms. Lake Lanier is in Hall, Forsyth, Dawson, Gwinnett, and Lumpkin counties. It took five years to fill in the valley to the numerous small arms and fingers that it is. This lake looks crazy, by the way. Like, bird's eye view looks fucking crazy. Uh, and it finished filling up in 1956. In order to flood the area, they also had to relocate, quote-unquote, over 20 cemeteries. Yeah, I'm sure they relocated them real far. They say they relocated the bodies, but of course, they didn't manage to move all of the grave sites. Lake Lanier is only slightly more popular than Georgia's second most visited lake, but it's also twice as deadly. The water is murky, and at the bottom, one can find full towns complete with roads, walls, and houses intact. It is full of trees, 
old structures, including the graveyards, and other assorted debris that can ensnare swimmers and knock boats off course. A drought in 2007 caused the lake levels to lower by several feet, creating havoc on the area's water supply. Floating docks had become beached, and the low water levels even exposed the stadium seating for the old Gainesville Looper Speedway. Ugh, that's Mm -hmm. creepy. Yeah. So before its completion in 1956, the area consisted of several small towns once occupied by farmers, whose land had been in families for generations. One of the more well-known towns that was absorbed by the lake is Oscarville. Located in the north perimeter in Forsyth County, it began as a small rural town in 1870. The town was an agricultural marvel because local farmers fought off the boll weevil infestation that tormented Georgia from 1915 to the 1990s and survived the Great Depression. Although portions of old Oscarville can still be found on maps, the original city has only survived through lore and is remembered for something much darker. Oscarville was originally a predominantly African-American community and the site of a uh, 1912 racial conflict, which resulted in the forced displacement of all 1,098 black people from the county, rendering Oscarville a ghost town. So we're going to get into that for a minute. And just be warned. Do that. Um, this is not a fun story to tell. Uh, typical American history. It's not history. Fun history to tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, typical American history that most people like to just... Skate over or pretend didn't happen. Exactly. Den- denial, denial, denial. Anyway, anyway. Yeah. For the Disgusting. most part, all of this type of history gets whitewashed. And we're either not taught it at all or taught specific parts that make it seem not as bad as it was Mm -hmm. or make it seem like the white people were not as bad as they were which we all know is fucking bullshit so after the civil war black slaves in the south were emancipated and granted citizenship but Mm -hmm. by the turn of the 20th century all southern states disenfranchised blacks by passing constitutions and other laws to impede voter registration and voting In addition, the white-dominated Southern legislatures passed laws imposing racial segregation in public facilities, and Jim Crow customs ruled. The Atlanta race Mm -hmm. riot of 1906 was waged by whites against blacks, killing hundreds, and reflected tensions in a city that was rapidly changing. The rate of lynchings of blacks by whites in Georgia and in the South had been high since the late 19th century, and accounts of lynching were regularly published in the local papers, often maintaining that blacks were responsible, guilty either of a crime or poor attitude. Lynchings, oh. <laughs> right. Lynchings were a mean by whites to enforce white supremacy and ensure that blacks, quote unquote, stayed in line. With that said, we're going to go into Oscarville on the night oh. of September 5th, 1912. Ellen Grice a 22-year-old white woman and wife of a highly respected farmer, alleged that Tony Howell and his associate Isaiah Perkle, two black men, attempted to rape her, but were surprised and frightened away by her mother. Within days, Forsyth County Sheriff William Reed detained these two black men, in addition to suspects Fate Chester, Johnny Bates, and Joe Rogers. All five black men were placed in the small Forsyth County Jail located near the coming Georgia Town Square. After the news came out about the attack on Grice, 
Grant Smith, a black preacher at a local church, had suggested that maybe the woman had lied about the event after having been caught in a consensual act with a black man. Outraged whites horsewhipped the preacher in front of the courthouse, and by the time Sheriff Reed rescued him and took him inside, Smith was near death. Due to rumors that members of a black church barbecue that Smith was at threatened to dynamite the town, angry armed white men stormed the courthouse and patrolled the streets. Deputy Sheriff Mitchell Loomis, or Lummis, I'm not sure, locked Grant Smith in the large courthouse vault and saved his life. Fearing a race riot, Governor Joseph McKay Brown declared martial law and activated 23 members of the National Guard from Gainesville, Georgia, who successfully kept the peace. However, no one was ever arrested or tried for the assault on Smith. Later that Mm -hmm. day, Sheriff Reed sent Smith as well as the suspects to a jail in Marietta and then on to Fulton County Jail in Atlanta, fearing that the mob would follow them. The police said that Tony Howell had confessed to assaulting and raping Ellen Grice and had also implicated Perkle as an accomplice. But the trial of Howell was postponed due to lack of evidence. Howell had an alibi with Isaiah Perkle as a witness. The case would never go to trial and was eventually dismissed. Although, seriously, although it was impossible to find what actually happened to Tony and Isaiah. Uh, I read a lot of articles that said that the men were attacked in the prison and lynched. Mm. Uh, This was the only specifics that I could find was that it never went to trial. But honestly, I have no idea what happened to them because every, everything I read said something different. So we know what happened to them. Yeah. Probably. Unfortunately and sadly and disgustingly, we know what happened. Uh Uh-huh. It only gets worse. Just days later on September 9th, 1912, Sleety May Crow, an 18-year-old white girl, was allegedly attacked by 16-year-old Ernest Knox. She was walking from home to her aunt's house when Knox striked her from behind and dragged her down a gully in the woods. Knox allegedly raped the girl and struck her at least three times in the head with a large stone, crushing her skull. After Knox told three people what he had done, they went to see for themselves. They were Knox's cousin, 17-year-old Oscar Daniel, uh, Oscar's sister, 22-year-old Trussie or Jane Daniel, and uh, Jane's live-in boyfriend, 24-year-old Robert or Big Rob Edwards, and a neighbor, Ed Collins. They discussed disposing of Crow's body in the nearby Chattahoochee River, but reportedly decided that it was too risky, leaving her in the woods. These allegations were never proven. However, the next morning, searchers found May Crow, half-naked, covered with leaves, lying face down uh, in a pool of dry blood. She was still alive and breathing. At the scene of the alleged rape, searchers found a small hair comb that was said to belong to Ernest Knox. Crow was in a coma for days, eventually succumbing to her injuries. Police arrested each member of the group, and they were taken to the county jail in Cumming. On the way, after being subjected to a form of torture known as mock lynching, Knox confessed to having attacked Crow. When word spread of the attack, a mob of several hundred to 4,000 whites attacked the county jail. 
A deputy sheriff hid the other suspects from the mob, but some men gained entry and beat Rob Edwards with crowbars while in his cell. Then dragged his body through the streets, hanged him from a telephone pole on the town square, where most of the town participated in shooting into his hanging corpse. His body was so mutilated that early newspaper accounts identified it as Ed Collins. <sighs> yeah, that's hard to get through. Oh my God. Um, charges against Trussie Daniel and Ed Collins were dismissed. She agreed to a plea bargain and testified against her brother and Knox. Knox and Oscar Daniel stood trial. Both were quickly convicted of rape and murder by the all-white jury. And on the of following... Course. Of course. And on the following day, October 4th, both teenagers were sentenced to death by hanging, scheduled for October 25th. State law prohibited public hangings, so the scheduled execution was to be viewed only by the victim's family, a minister, and law officers. Gallows were built off the square and coming, but the fence erected around the gallows was burned down the night before the execution. A crowd estimated at between 5,000 and 8,000 gathered to watch what became a public hanging of the two boys. The total county mm. population at that time was 12,000. So the majority of that county population came to watch them be hanged. That's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard it um, compared to a festival. Mm. Yeah. So. Mm-mm. Yeah, real cool, people. Real cool. Uh, Sleety May Crow's death has never technically been solved, although it has been noted that according to her grandniece, May Crow stated before her death that the suspects were completely innocent. Straight from the horse's mouth. Yeah, there's a shock. Right. In the following months, a small group of men called Night Riders burned black churches businesses, and homes, and terrorized black citizens, warning them to leave in 24 hours or to be killed. Those who resisted were subjected to further harassment, including shots fired into their homes or livestock killed. Some white residents tried to stop the Night Riders, but were unfortunately unsuccessful. An estimated 98% of black residents of Forsyth County left. 98%. Some property owners were able to sell, likely at a loss. The renters and sharecroppers left to seek safer places. Those who had to abandon property and failed to continue paying property tax eventually lost their lands, and whites took it over. Many black properties ended up in white hands without a sale and without legal transfer of title. This anti-black campaign was widespread across the Appalachian Georgia, and with Forsyth County being the third to expel its black population. Since then, many of these communities have remained almost exclusively white, being even considered sundown towns. Now, if you don't know what a sundown town is, basically that is a conservative, basically 100% white town that if you are a black person, and you are found in this town after sundown, they will fucking kill you. Yeah. And these towns... They seriously fuck you up. These towns were very, very common back then, but they still exist today. Literally. They exist today. If you are black and you go into these towns after the sun fucking goes down, they will fucking kill you. Yep. Just for being black. Oh, 
I, I just, it's 2021. I know. 20 fucking 21. It makes me are, fucking it's sick. Still, it's still a fucking thing. Yeah. It, it makes me physically ill to think that the, the shit ever happened, for one, but that it still fucking happens. It's ridiculous. It's, it is unfucking believable. Like, I yeah. can't. I can't even. So, at, eventually, after this racial cleansing, the village of Oscarville became the primary location of what is now Lake Lanier. Patrick Phillips wrote a book in, uh, in 2016 called Blood at the Root, A Racial Cleansing in America, which sparked newfound interest in the long-forgotten Oscarville. Growing up as a white boy in Forsyth, Phillips says that he had always heard that the county had driven out all the black population to protect its white women after black men had raped two women and killed one. As an adult, he researched the real story and published his findings. He says... That's what you should do. Exactly. He says the only young black men living in that part of the county were the ones accused of, this, of these crimes. I, I, w I didn't go into his story a whole lot because it's literally a fucking book. But from what I understood, from what I saw, basically he said that the sheriff and the deputies wrangled up all of the black men that they could find mm -hmm. in the general vicinity of the crimes. And those and the were the suspects. No yeah. white men. They just wrangled nope. up all the black men. Yep. And even a black woman. In the case of Sleety May. But, yeah. Yep. It's just an ongoing witch hunt. That's what it is. You know? Because they feel threatened. Exactly. Like, at, at this time, there was such a... I didn't get into it in my, in my story, but there was such a, a huge fear from white people at this time. Because black people were just emancipated. They were starting their own majority black towns and businesses you know and they were doing well you know they had their they own were learning exactly they, had they were owning land they were becoming big competitors and the white people found this fucking threatening and they yep. were worried that there was going to be some sort of race war and they, they, they fucking create everything they created time. exactly just knowing the value of a human life, regardless, regardless of who you are, mm -hmm. where you come from, what you believe, what you don't believe, like, who why, you love. why is, yes, why is any one sack of organs better than the next? Exactly. We're just skeletons and, and again, brains wrapped in a body going, of meat. Like, what does yes. it fucking matter? Like, yes. And, you know, all these people are fucking, like, using religion a lot of shit now. But nowhere in the Bible does it say shit about skin color. No. So and, why do you And Jesus think... wasn't white. Yes. He was, he was from the <laughs> Middle East. Like, are you kidding if me? If you don't know that in the year 2021, you're probably not listening to this podcast. <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, if you are... He wasn't. He, he, he wasn't was of Middle white. Eastern descent. I don't. I. I. I, 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 I know your. I know your point because you. You were saying if there is a God, I mean, this is me saying this, but if there is a God, 
and the Bible is all true and whatever bullshit you want to believe in. It literally says to love your neighbor regardless of everything. And you are not, you, it is not your job to judge. You are not the judge. God is the fucking judge. So mind your fucking business, leave people alone and quit judging them on their skin color, their fucking gender identity, who they love. No one gives a shit, but you. So fuck off. Anyway, I, you know, let me get off my soapbox. I know that like, I don't even need to be a speaker for anybody, you know, like, I just need to be like a, a, an amplifier, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, let them speak and I'll just make sure their voice is like pushed further. But exactly. I, exactly. This kind of stuff though, like really hurts to hear. I, I mean, all, all we can do now is try to constantly unlearn the bullshit that we've been taught and, yeah. you know, and, listen. And learn the hard, painful truths. Because these are them. Yeah. Listen. And this is just a, a scratch of the surface. Right. When it, when a black person is telling you about their experiences, shut the fuck up and listen. You learn and something. don't think that they're lying. Why the fuck would they lie about this shit? If someone is telling you about their personal life experiences, you cannot tell them, no, you're wrong. No. Nope. <laughs> or no, you're lying. Like, you... Uh, d- d- I can't. I can't even. Like, <laughs> I can't. All right. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I get so you fucking heated. I get so fucking Brand heated. over. All um, right. Oscarville. Okay. So, now that you know the dark history of what is beneath Lake Lanier, you can understand why people say it's cursed. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite many instances of boat accidents and drownings. Let's not even... Forget that, you know, all the stolen native land, but... Yeah, yep. I kind of touch on that at the very end. Just a little bit. okay, cool. All right. Just literally a tiny, tiny bit. (laughs) But, uh, yes, you are absolutely correct. Um, The, despite many instances of boat accidents and drownings, the the lake remains a top vacation spot for locals. Estimates put the number of deaths associated with Lake Lanier. Are you ready for this? Since its inception in 1956, they estimate 675 people have died on the lake. Oh my god. Not even 100 years! In 65 years. Yeah. So, that's 10 people a fucking year. The average is 20 people a year. Yeah. Uh, and since 1994 specifically, nearly 200 people have died at Lake Lanier. Yeah, just since 94. Oh, damn. Mm-hmm. damn. Yeah. Yeah. So 26 years, 200 people. Mm-hmm. I guess it's a, I mean, like, it's about average, though. It's like a third and a third. Well, additionally, and I find this fact um, interesting, considering what I just told you. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Males under the age of 35 and African-American males account for a disproportional number of drowning accident victims. Um, haunted then and not just like a hunting ground for disgusting ass motherfucking people. I mean, maybe all of those spirits are still there and some are white racist spirits and some are, you know... Black people that are angry, so 
They're killing Is there a percentage? Metals. Is there is there a percentage? I did not find a percentage specifically. Okay. But they did say disproportional, so. Yeah. Uh, in an Imagine attempt. Like our prison systems in America. Very true. Very true. Uh, in an attempt to cut down on boating accidents and increase awareness around water safety, the U.S. Mm. Army Corps of Engineers pro- have provided a number of drowning prevention tips, which include using the buddy system while swimming, not venturing into restricted areas, and limiting alcohol consumption. Mm-hmm. In November 1995, Shirley Ann Rothermel, who uh, was 45, disappeared from a houseboat docked on Holiday Marina near Lake Lanier Islands. Divers eventually called off the search for Rothermel, though her body would surface not far from Holiday Marina roughly two months after she disappeared. Huh. Lake Lanier claimed the life of 11-year-old Kyle Glover, son of Usher's ex-wife Tamika Foster, who oh. was critically injured in a G- uh, jet ski accident in 2012. Also in 2012, Prince brothers, Jake, nine years old, and Griffin, 13 years old, were thrown into the water when a drunk driver collided with their pontoon boat. The oldest Prince brother, Ryan, jumped into the lake and pulled Jake from the water, but he could not be revived. It would be nine days before divers located Griffin's body, 113 feet underwater. Over Memorial Weekend in 2019... 30-year-old Reginald Terrell Whitehead went under the water and never resurfaced after falling off his jet ski. 24 hours prior to Whitehead's accident, 61-year-old Michael Thompson of Gainesville drowned near a boat dock. Just weeks prior, on April 28, 2019, 17-year-old Dante Lane of Lithonia was pulled from the water by a mysterious stranger after nearly drowning. He ended up dying on May 11th. And that's just a few deaths out of the six hundred and seventy-five. Those are all like this century, like this decade, except for the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Although the lake is one hundred and fifty-two feet deep at its lowest point, underwater forests with trees as tall as sixty feet uh, rest at the bottom. The trees, remaining chicken coops building foundations and cemeteries make it challenging to dredge Lake Lanier for bodies. Mm -hmm. Buck Buchanan, a local diver said, you reach out into the dark and you feel an arm or leg and it doesn't move. That's creepy. Uh. Hall County Sheriff Department spokesman, Sergeant Stephen Wilbanks says at those depths, divers encounter total darkness along with the very real threat that they'll get tangled up in an underwater forest strewn with discarded fishing lines. It can get spooky down there. It's a surreal yeah. environment. Yeah. Every, he said every time you bump a tree, it'll shake off years of sediment that just explodes in the water. Oh, it's disgusting. I know. <laughs> like, I can visualize Ew. it in my head, and it's, like, so gross. <sighs> it's sludge. I know. Ugh. So, no official records are kept by either the Georgia Department of Natural Resources or the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, but estimates by officials familiar with the lake put, num- put the number of unrecovered bodies at between two and three dozen. In regards to the bodies beneath the water, 
Buchanan also shared a horrifying thought. Nobody has been able to lay them to rest. They're on the bottom of Lanier. Hopefully you find them before they find you. Mm -mm. Right? Supernatural lore and urban legends have haunted Lake Lanier for decades, but just recently found a receptive audience on social media where they found a legion of believers. One story. Oh, shocker. Right. A bunch of gullible <laughs> people like me. Like me. Uh, one story is about a ghost named Agnes, which is backed by a handful of contradictory stories from hanging herself at university to drowning. One tale says 88 people died in a tornado mill accident in 1903 and may still be haunting the area. Some people who have almost drowned in the water of Lake Lanier described the experience as if they were being pulled underwater or held there without having any control. So some say that mysterious arms reach out for swimmers from the watery depths. Angry spirits call people home to submerged graves. There have been unsolved murder mysteries where bodies were discovered near the lake. Some people have claimed to hear church bells from a sunken church, although due to the 35-foot building height rule, this is unlikely. Uh, There is even a ghostly... That doesn't mean that 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 shit isn't still residual. Exactly, exactly. Residual Um, energy is different from a physical manifestation, people. Learn your shit! (laughs) There's even a ghostly raft... That has been seen up here. <laughs> I know. I know I wrote so that and I was weird like. They, was it like a, a like a homemade raft? Like, um. My, in my head. Away? In my head. Or is I, it a yellow plastic one? See, I don't, I don't see any of that. What I think of in my head is what, <laughs> one of those that has like the unicorn on it. It was like a... <laughs> so over the years, divers have reported creepy sightings beneath the murky waters. Some tell stories of freaky catfish as big as Volkswagens. YouTube is also filled with the zoo. Yeah. Uh, YouTube is filled with divers showing videos of sunken houseboats and piles of debris. Now, one of the most prevalent ghostly tales in the area is of a lady in blue wandering around the lake. In April of 1958, Delia Parker borrowed a blue dress and her friend Susie Roberts came to pick her up in a 1954 blue Ford for the night out. The pair was headed to the Three Gables in Dawsonville, but the women never returned. They were traced from the Three Gables to a gas station nearby where they left without paying. There were skid marks along the road near the bridge, and it looked as though the car had crossed the center line and went off the side of the road. Police searched for the car in the water, but to no avail. Their disappearance remained a mystery until 18 months later, when a body floated up from the water as uh, C.A. Simpson was fishing under the Dawsonville Highway Bridge. Identification was not possible because the body had dentures, but it did have a couple of striking attributes. The body was missing two toes on her left foot and had no hands. The the woman's body was buried in Alta Vista Cemetery in an unmarked grave, and people started to speak of seeing a woman in blue wandering on the bridge. Then, in November of 1990, construction on the bridge revealed a blue 1950s Ford sedan. 
There was a oh, body shit. inside of it. Uh, the body was recovered with remnants of a sweater and a slip nearby. A purse, some sunglasses, rings, uh, and ultimately a watch helped identify the body. After 32 years, Susie Roberts' family used the watch to identify her. The unmarked grave in Alta Vista was replaced with a headstone for Delia Parker, and Susie Roberts received a proper burial. Despite being found and identified, Delia is still seen wandering the bridge in her blue dress, lost on dark nights looking for her hands and her way home. So, according to TikToker Jay Bailey, there are three haunted places you should never visit if you go to Georgia, and all three of them are Lake Lanier. She says, Oh shit! <laughs> she says, The lake is literally full of dead bodies. If that doesn't scream haunted, then I don't know what does. Author and historian Lisa Russell disagrees. She says, The real haunting in this story is how history has made it impossible to ignore what was done to the land in North Georgia. Once a land of wild rivers, North Georgia is now broken with dams and human-made bodies of water that changed the ecosystem. Once a land mm-hmm. that belonged to indigenous people is now buried underwater, making recovering of lost culture impossible. Yep. I think that's mm-hmm. pretty fucking accurate. That's very, like, deep and thought-provoking, you know? like mm-hmm. Whether you believe mm-hmm. Lake Lanier to be cursed or haunted or just the victim of a racist past and poor planning, you have to admit that it's a creepy fucking place. And I personally will never go in or around those waters. Nope. Uh, one fun fact, though, before I finish. Uh, the How ne- fun is it? <laughs> well, uh, uh, the Netflix drama Ozark, which I have watched all of one episode of, which has its own high body count, films scenes at the lake. Huh. Yeah. So they're all not right. in the Ozarks. They're at Lake Lanier. Yeah. How appropriate. I mean... Arkansas and Georgia aren't, like, super far from each other. Anyway, that's yeah. the story of Lake Lanier. The yeah. end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a fun one, huh? I'm glad you covered Lake Lanier. I am, too. Because now I don't have to. Okay. I have a pretty good uh, dad joke, so. All right. Let's do a dad joke. You have a shot ready? I sure do. I only have one dad joke tonight. All right. Well, that's all we need to dad jokes. Two cheers to the freaking weekend. Yeah. I guess this would be the third cheer to the freaking weekend. So three cheers to the freaking weekend. True. Which is the original words. (laughs) Cheers. Opa. Oh, that was so rough. Blech. Blech. All right. Okay. So, Tasha. Yeah. Did you hear about the new facility that opened in Indiana specializing in paternity tests? No. <laughs> this is so stupid. <laughs> it's so good. It's called Who's Your Daddy? Of course it is. Did Bond give you this one? Yeah. But. <laughs> you mean my dad, right? And not my yeah. brother? Yeah, of course yeah. your dad. <laughs> Who's your See, daddy? See, in my life, 
I'm not your daddy. I'm your grandpa. I'm not your um, daddy. I'm your grandpa. In my life, Bond is my brother and my dad is my dad. Yeah. I get that. I get that. That's so a, that is a funny you, when one. When you ask me if it's from Bond, I'm like, uh, yeah. Which Bond? Bond Sr.? James Bond? James Bond? Bond. They're not juniors and seniors. Bond. They're first and seconds. Isn't that junior and senior? Um, there's a difference. What's the difference? You're called first and second, not junior and senior. <laughs> I think it's still the same. Um, so I, before we end this, me and Steph have decided that we are going to take the majority of August off because it's a very busy month for both of us. And I have a trip to Omaha, so that's going to be cool. Um, so we are going to post this episode next week, and then we are going to record another one and post another one, and then we're going to take four weeks off. Yep. So uh, we won't have anything posted until probably the first week of September, maybe the second week of September. I'm not sure yet. It depends on how things go. But... We'll be back sometime in September. <laughs> so you have which one, is my birthday month, which is September, which is Steph's birthday month. So yeah, um, next episode will be our last episode for a good month or so. Uh, so just keep that in mind for those five people who listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dad, I've already told you about this, so you're hearing about this again. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, uh, that's. That's going to be that about that. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have anything else stuff before we uh, end this shit tonight? Did not drink near as much as I thought I was going to tonight. I'm a lot more sober than I've been the entire time. I have this much left of my fourth drink because um, I have drank a bottle and a half of water during this episode as well. Uh, let's end this episode. Uh, so we will see you in two weeks where Steph will finish up her paranormal story about why the why... thing of Lizzie Borden house in Colorado <laughs> River, Massachusetts. Why? Why did I want to say Helen Keller? <laughs> I totally had that vibe too, dude. That's funny. That's such a strange, not accurate thing uh yeah so steph will finish her story about lizzie borden and the paranormal side <laughs> of her house and who knows what the fuck i'm gonna do i guess you'll have to wait and something see. murdery something murdery so stick around and we'll see you in two weeks goodbye okay, bye